Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, it is a very special thing to get a gift out of the blue that you were not expecting. I got a gift like that uh, this, this Christmas. This is a, a, little, uh, a little booklet, a little notebook. Uh, it says field notes in here, and it's, a, it's leather bound. And this was given to me by, by one of you. It's not somebody that I normally exchange gifts with, and so I just was kind of surprised. And, and this gentleman said, I, I was just thinking of you. I saw this, and I thought you might enjoy it. And it was such a, it was such a cool gift because it was just like, hey, I'm, just, I'm thinking about you. But then I thought I have the perfect use for this because... Most every year, I just pray about like what, what word, like I ask the Lord for a word for the year that he might be wanting to do something in, in my heart and in my life. And so my word for, for this year is super abundant, which is a whole nother message and I won't get into all, all of that. But I said, this is gonna be my, my opportunity to take notes and my, my super abundant sightings as God is at work in, in my life this year. So I've been, been doing that. It was, just, it was just fun. It was just a, a cool gift, no obligation, no strings attached. I didn't feel like I had to, to pay it back or anything. That's not always the case with every gift that I get. Sometimes I do get gifts, and maybe you have too, where you, you feel like there's kind of a string attached and you feel like there's kind of an expectation that you're supposed to reciprocate that. Or, or sometimes I've, I've received a gift and honestly, it's just hard to receive. Like, I don't know if it's pride or, or something. I'm just like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't feel right taking this. Maybe it's, it's too valuable. Have you, I mean, just think, think about your own situation. Have you ever given a gift to somebody and, and your heart was just benevolent? I mean, you just wanted to bless them and give them a good gift, but they had a hard time receiving it. Whether that was pride or something just, got in the way from them being able to just receive it and enjoy it the way you wish they, they could. Today we're gonna talk about God's, the, the greatest gift that God offers to us. And we're gonna talk about his heart, God's heart in offering that to us. No strings attached, it is just benevolence. The question is not like, what is God's intention in offering a gift to us? What does he want from us? The question is, can you and I just receive the gift and enjoy it? We're gonna talk about that this morning. If you take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter three. We are studying through this letter to the Romans. If you're with us for the first time here, or the first time in, in a while, um, we've been... And if you don't have a Bible, it'd be great for you to grab one on, off a seat near you, and it's on page 1042, what we're gonna be looking at this morning. We have been in five weeks of bad news, and so I've been just trying to encourage you, like, you know, come back, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna get better. I, I was kind of thinking about this this week. Today we're getting to the good news, okay? So we've been in five weeks of bad news. I feel like if you've ever been on a roller coaster, 
and you go up the big hill, and you know, you're just kind of waiting, waiting, and it's kind of clanking, 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 clanking. That's where we've been for the last five weeks. Today, we get to the top, and it's gonna start going, and it's gonna start to be a lot of fun, all right? Um, got a quote for you from Martin Luther talking about these verses that we are looking at this morning. This is what Martin Luther said. These verses are the chief point and the very central place of the epistle, this letter to the Romans, and of the whole Bible. So if you're here this morning and you're not normally here, then you picked a great Sunday to be here because what we're talking about this morning is the core message of all of Scripture. So we're gonna talk this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna spend a little time here at the beginning on some meaty, pretty meaty theology. Then we're gonna get to a very deeply personal application. And I, I wanna just say, before we dive into this, I wanna uh, let you know about an opportunity that we're offering that's starting this Tuesday night. We're gonna have an elder-led discussion on Romans available online, 7.30, on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. So this is a fourth Tuesday. This will be the, the first one this month. And so our elders are gonna kind of rotate through that. We wanted to give an opportunity for you as you're studying Romans yourself. If you have questions that don't get answered, there is no possible way. I mean, I could be spending a month on every verse in Romans. And so there's no possible way I can cover everything that you might be wondering and so if you have questions that are, you know, you want to just have an opportunity to turn this, this is kind of a monologue, you're going to turn it into a dialogue. So Tuesday nights, um, you can sign up for that. You need to sign up for that and get the Zoom link. That is on our Romans Hub page. So if you go to gracepointpa.org slash Romans, you can sign up for that, and that'll start this Tuesday night. All right, with that, let's start with verse 21. But now... All right, I'm gonna stop right there because that is a hard demarcation for, we've been in five weeks of bad news. Okay, since chapter one, Paul has been making a case for universal condemnation that every person, when we stand before God as our judge, none of, we will all be declared guilty. So he's been making that case, and the final verse last week, verse 20, was very sobering. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So by works of the law, by trying to do the right thing, I mean, this is, is this talking about the law that God gave, the Ten Commandments. By works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight. No one will be made right. No one. We, we saw that word over and over again last, last week. The law was not given. The Ten Commandments were not given as a means of getting right with God, but to show us how not right with God we are. That's what the law is, is for. So what hope do we have? Well, that's why we read on in verse 21. But now... <laughs> But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now we're starting into some good news, okay? 
Last week, it was no one will be justified. Now today, it is there, there is a righteousness of God available for all who believe. We're going from no one to all. Paul is here picking up the idea that he introduced in Romans 1.17, which I'm just gonna keep drilling into us, and we're gonna quiz, yes, again today. Romans 1.17, we're gonna start with blanks on the screen today. If you haven't been here, we've been like, I, I really want everybody to really get this verse in their minds. So I want you to fill in the blank, okay? The one who by faith, good, is righteous, shall live, let's drop out another one. The one who by is righteous shall live. All right, so here's the whole thing. Please get that in your mind. That is the core concept, the core idea of this whole entire letter to Romans. And so Paul's recapping that idea here in verses 21 and 22. Paul, Paul now is gonna recap the bad news in verse 23 and then he's gonna give us the really good news in verse 24. So the recap in verse 23 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, I wanna unpack that a little bit because there's, there's a lot. And these two verses are the verses that we're gonna camp on today, 23 and 24. There's a lot in verse 23. It says all have sinned. So I said this last week, you know, sin is not a popular word in, in our culture, but the, the, the original meaning of the word, the Greek word sin, was to miss the mark. It goes all the way back at least to Homer's Iliad. So, you know, if you had to read that in high school, you're probably, you know, this is a little PTSD right now, but the, the idea of trying to hit a target but missing, that was the original idea. Then it, it kind of evolved to just mean to fail in general. And then by the time we get to the New Testament, it has this sense of to wander, to wander away from the path that God has for us, the, the path of rightness. I know what it is to wander from a path. Um, a few years ago, Sherry and I had the opportunity to go to California for our anniversary and we had never seen the redwoods. Oh wow, that picture makes us look really broad. That's, it's not that way, but anyway. Um, we, we, went, uh, we had never seen the redwood trees before, and so we went to Kings Canyon, and there were these trail markers. We, we wanted to go hiking through, through the park, and so there were these trail markers that showed us you know, how long we were gonna be on each of these trails, and so we started, started, and it was a beautiful afternoon. It was in July, but it wasn't too hot, but it was very sunny, and it was beautiful. So we start out on, I don't remember which one of these trails, but we kind of had this sense of like it's gonna be whatever, a mile or, or two, and so we were walking, and then we were walking and walking and walking. We we're like, man, this is not right. Like, this, we should be somewhere by now, but we were not anywhere. And so we were, you know, it was, it was a kind of a warm day. We were running out of water, kind of had to go to the bathroom and stuff. And so we're like, wow, we got to get there. And this is my, I have some gifts in life, but one of my gifts is not like navigation. And so I don't have any kind of sense of, I couldn't point which way is north, I have no idea. So it's like to try to follow even a trail, like I couldn't even do that. Like, I mean, I think that they just didn't have it marked very well. But anyway, we wandered off this trail and it, you know, eventually we found our, our way back. But you know, when you're on a trail, 
It's like it all just kind of looks the same. There's one more picture here. It all just kind of looks the same, you know, and you're just kind of going and going and going. And the idea, all of that to say that the idea of all have sinned is that all, all of us have wandered off the path that is moving towards God. Every one of us has wandered off that path. We've gotten lost off of that path. And every one of us is on a path actually away from God, and we can't find our own way back. Verse 22, I I skipped over these words here kind of intentionally because I wanted to come back, but verse 22 ends with, for there is no distinction. It's talking about all have sinned. Paul started with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people back in chapter one, talking about how they had wandered. It's easy to see how non-Jewish people are godless. They don't have the law to begin with. They're not even trying to, to please God. But then God even says, Paul says that the Jewish people have, have wandered, which is a surprise because we, we might expect them to be in for, for special treatment. But, but this says that all Fall short, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short. I want you to notice the change in verb tense. It's very significant, okay? All have sinned and fall short. What's the verb tense of fall short? Present tense. It, it's we're, we're not done, it, we, we aren't done falling short. We are, in, we are still in the process. We continue to fail to reach God's requirements for us. So that's the recap of the bad news. Are you ready now for some good news? Are, are you? Are you, okay, all right, wow. Okay, so, so I'm gonna read this slowly. Now just let this soak in, verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're gonna unpack that. Paul, Paul the teacher has been working, 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 pushing to make us thirsty and parched so that we would be so desperate for this cool drink of water that he's giving us now. We're gonna unpack four key words. We could do more than that, but we're gonna unpack four key words in verse 24. Each one of these words is worth an extended meditation, like just thinking about it, where else is it used in scripture, Um, especially especially if you're here today and you are tired, maybe you just feel exhausted like you're trying to please God or trying to figure out how to do life and you just can't figure it out and and or you're just feeling like you're a complete failure like i've been trying 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 then then you should spend more time on each of these words the first word verse 24 is justified we are justified that that word simply means to be made right with someone and I, I'm gonna continue to refer back to an, an illustration that I gave several weeks ago about what, what does justified mean? Just, being justified with God is, is like going into court and being tried for a crime that you know you committed. And the judge hears all of the evidence and when it comes time for him to give the verdict, he declares you not guilty. Surprise, 
And so, so you are legally then made right. But the judge goes beyond that. And as everyone else is filing out of the courtroom, he calls you up and he says, I, I wanna invite you to my home. I wonder if you would come and join me at my home tonight for dinner. Seems kind of odd. But you go, you show up, you enjoy dinner with his family, and then when dinner is over, the rest of the family gets up, walks away, and it's just you and the judge, and he says to you, you know, I've, I heard your story, I heard some of what you've been through, I wanna offer you a second chance in life. Would you consider being adopted into my family? That's what's involved in the word justified here. We are made right legally and relationally. And so how do I get that? How do I get justified? Well, there's two possible ways that we can be justified. The first one is back in chapter two, verse 13. If you'd look back there with me. In chapter two, verse 13, Paul says, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified, who will be made right. So if you can do the law perfectly without failing, if you can do it consistently all the time, then you can be justified, you can be right with God. Good luck. Because then Paul goes on to say, no one, no one is able to do it. So there's a second way that we can be justified, and that is what we find in verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift. So before we go on to the next word, please understand that fall short, that all fall short and justified are both present tense verbs. They're both ongoing, they're both constantly happening. We are constantly falling short, but we are constantly justified. How can that be? How can that be? That, that's the question that plagues us so many times because we think, how, how could I possibly be right with God? Like when we come into relationship with God and then we recognize more and more when we see how perfect God is and how much he asks of us and how he wants us to be holy and how he wants us to treat the people around us in loving ways and we see how far short we fall. It's like, okay, I see that I fall short, but how can I possibly be justified? How can I possibly be right with God at the same time? Well, verse 24 gives us the answer with the second key word. We are justified by his what? Grace, grace. This is the first time that this word occurs in Romans with an explanation. It occurs twice in the introduction back in chapter one, but it doesn't, it's not really explained. It's just kind of thrown out there. Grace to you, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the first time it's explained. It's gonna show up 24 times in, in the book, and that's why we, we were talking about being immersed in, in grace. The meaning of, of the word grace. In secular Greek, before, before we got to the New Testament, it simply meant something that delights and brings joy. And the word still kind of carries that kind of a sense. Sometimes we will say, we, we might see a play, uh, and we say, so-and-so graced the stage. Or if you're a musician, um, there are grace notes that, that just kind of add an extra, a little bit of extra color they, they don't have to be in the piece. They just add a little bit of 
something extra. So that's the original meaning of the word. By the time we get to the New Testament, it, it means favor, help, goodwill that's given to someone else. It's, it's the action of one who is volunteering something out of their own benevolence. So there's no obligation involved in grace. It's given, it's just given. That's the meaning of the word grace itself. <laughs> but just to make it crystal clear, Paul uses another key word in verse 24. They're justified, all are justified by his grace as a what? As a gift, as a gift. By definition, the word gift means free. It means there, there is no cost for it. Augustine, for, for those of you who uh, may, I'm, I'm really traumatizing you guys with uh, high school, but if you studied Latin, so we'll put up an Augustine quote here in Latin. Anybody can read that? Gratia. See, we can see where grace comes from in that, that gratia. Well, let, let's give you the English translation because most of us aren't fluent in Latin. Grace is not grace unless it is free. Grace is not grace unless it is free. There's a beautiful illustration of this in the book of Revelation at the very end, in chapter 21, the, the new heavens and the new earth. The one on the throne said to me, to John, who's writing this down, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, it's free. See, grace comes through trust, not transaction. Grace comes through trusting God, not trying to engage in a transaction with God. You know what a transaction is. You go to the store and you give something you have, which is usually money, you give something you have to get something you want. Okay, that's the way a lot of people operate with God. I'm gonna give something I have. I'll give you, I'll give you some of my money. I'll give you some of my, my time. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to church. I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll give you something, God, so that you'll give me something in return. That's a transaction. And God is not interested in our transactions when it comes to being made right with him. He's not interested in our transactions at all, but it certainly doesn't make us right with him. I, I think why we like transactions so much is because it gives us some kind of control. If, if we can do something that obligates God to do something in return for us, then we can just have an, the, an expectation that he's gonna have to do something for us. So it gives us, he, he owes us something. It, it is, here, here's what we need to know. It is not possible to buy our way to become right with God. It costs way too much. I mean, if you think you can buy God off by doing some good things, then you have way too low of a concept of what sin is. You have way too low a concept of how far short you have fallen. Jesus told a parable about an unforgiving servant. We talked about this back in, in the fall when we were in our love, our series in love. And Jesus told this story of a, a king 
who forgave a debt of his servant, and then his servant went and wouldn't forgive a debt of someone else that was a much, much smaller debt. I don't know if you remember the debt that Jesus described for the servant, which that, that parable is about the king, God being the king, and us. We, we are the servant who owes the debt that is unpayable. And it is so unpayable, this is the way Jesus describes it. He says, it's 10,000 talents. He owed 10,000 talents. One talent was worth 20 years of wages. Here's what that means. You, you and I owe the equivalent before God the king of 200,000 years of pay, of wages that we earn. You think you're gonna pay that back to God? That's the kind of debt that we owe. It is impossible for us to even begin to think about paying God back. It is not possible to do a transaction with God. And so we must rely on his grace, his kindness, his gift through trust. We need to lay down our pride and receive it as a gift. There's a fourth key word in verse 24. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the, what? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The, the word redemption refers to paying a price to free a slave. This was very real in Paul's culture, and especially as he's writing to people in Rome. This was very real to them. As many as a third of the population were, were slaves. They were owned by someone else. And so to be a slave meant that you did not get to decide what your day was going to look like. Someone else decided it for you. To be a slave meant that you didn't get to decide what your future looked like. What kind of career are you gonna pursue? What, what, what kind of retirement, what kind of dreams do you, do you have? Someone else decided those things for you. In, in Romans chapter six, when we get there, Paul is gonna talk a lot about how we are slaves to sin. We are born into the world predisposed to be rebellious against God and we end up slaves to sin. Sin is deciding things about our day and our future that we cannot get out of ourselves. We can't get away from it. Someone else has to step in and pay the price to free us from slavery and God paid that price. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his, what? Grace, there it is again. We're gonna delve into that freedom much more in future weeks where we, we get freedom from the penalty of sin. That, that's the, the past, what, what sins we have committed. We get freed from the power of sin in our present we get freed from the presence of sin in the future. That will be the glorification. We'll, we'll get into all of that much more later. All right, I wanna read verses 23 and 24 again. Now that we have unpacked those words, we have a deeper understanding here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in 
Christ Jesus. And let's read on and finish out the paragraph. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That We could spend a lot of time on that word too. We just don't have time this morning. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I don't know if you picked up on it. There's a, there's a, a phrase that gets repeated four times in all of these verses that we read. It's the, the righteousness of God. Shows up in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh, Shows up in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Shows up in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. And then in verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. This, This phrase, the righteousness of God, was vitally, vitally important to Martin Luther. And I wanna, I wanna share with you a, a very long quote that is, this encapsulates Martin Luther's conversion and his understanding um, when he came to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. He said, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. And so Martin Luther was tormented by that. I don't know if any of you went out to see that. If you haven't seen the movie, it's available on Amazon, but there's a movie called Luther, and you you get a great picture of the torment that he was going through because he wanted to be righteous, but he knew that he wasn't by his nature. And so he, so he was wrestling with that, and he goes on to say, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Like it's not me trying to earn his righteousness anymore. He's gifting it to me by grace. He he goes on to say, the whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. May it be so for each one of us. God has achieved the seemingly impossible. Verse 26, that he might be just and the justifier. He he doesn't compromise any of his justice. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He doesn't tolerate any of it. He is perfectly just, but he has become the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. He makes us right with him through the sacrifice of Christ. So, how do we get justified? How do we get made right? 
Well, let's get personal and uncomfortably specific, okay? In order for you and I to be made right with God, in order for us to experience living right, to do the right thing in any measure, you must stop trying to buy God off. You must stop trying to earn your way into heaven, into eternity, into his favor. You must stop trying to do a transaction with him. It's impossible, it doesn't work. You must stop trying to pay him back for what he has given to you. That's an insult. It's an, it's an insult. I mean, think about that judge inviting you over to his house for dinner, and when dinner ends, you pull out your wallet and say, how much can I give you for this? This must have cost a fortune here. Let me give you some money. Back. What, a, what an insult. Your attempts and my attempts to earn right standing with God are an insult to him because he has offered it to you by grace, as a gift. F.F. Bruce says, says this, this is so freeing to me. God in sheer grace assures me of his acceptance in advance of my efforts, and I gladly embrace his assurance. Then I can go on to do his will without always worrying whether I am doing it adequately or not. I hope that's as freeing for some of you as it is for me. Like, I, I'm tormented at times because I'm just like, man, I just messed that up. I go home every Sunday, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said that. And oh, I interacted with that person. I was a little impatient with that. I mean, just all the time. I, I am not adequate to obey what God wants of me, but I don't have to be because he has credited his righteousness to me. And now I can serve him the best I I can, and hopefully with increasing effectiveness, but I don't have to worry about whether I'm in his favor or not because he's offered that to me as a gift. Very practical tool I wanna offer you as we close here, a, a tally sheet, okay? We have this available. This is um, out online on our Romans Hub page. You can download it if you want to. I don't think you can read that up there, but anyway, what it says is you can put your name and your date at the top of that. On the left side column, it says, what God owes me today. And on the right hand column, it says, what God gave me today. What did he give you as a gift? And then what did you do for him that obligates him? So you can put that in the left hand column. I, I would encourage you, maybe if you, if you wrestle with this, if you just wrestle with receiving the gift of grace from the Lord, maybe just print out a couple of copies of this and do it several days this week and just see what that experience is like for you. See if it doesn't encourage in you gratitude instead of boasting. See if it doesn't encourage some excitement in serving him instead of pressure. See if it doesn't encourage devotion in you in place of drivenness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredibly amazing gift of grace that you have offered to us, that you offer to us as a gift, being made right with you because you know we can't earn that on our own. 
Lord, we thank you for your amazing benevolence that you, Jesus, were willing to pay the price for our ransom so that we could be bought back from slavery. Lord, would you, Lord, empower every person in this room to be humble before you, to receive that gift without strings attached, without trying to pay you back, but just receive it gratefully and just enjoy it and just be immersed in your grace. We pray that in Jesus' name.